This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Pure Hoops podcast, we inch closer to the tip-off of the season. Eric Newman in a snow-covered New York City. BJ Armstrong, as usual, in the paradise of Southern California. How are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say that too loud here, Eric, knowing you are currently living on the East Coast. But we yeah, can't I mean, complain. I mean, There's a lot of things we could complain about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now, now it's just snow out the window. window. So, so, you know, it's, you know, it's not you know I'm not going to show you what it looks like outside my window. Oh, I know the view. We can't complain here. And every day is, you know, another day that we just have to deal with all of the things that we're dealing with. But weather is not one of our problems here in Southern California. Yeah, I mean, I'm dug in, got what I need. Finishing up Hanukkah, so you know the bagel delivery spot has been good for the uh, the ethnic Jewish fair, and um, you know we got preseason hoops on, which has been great. And uh, you know my Browns didn't disappoint on Monday night; they reinvented a, another way to lose a classic. So, um, you know, sports are uh, helping this at least uh, feel like normal a few hours a day, but it's. Uh, it's crazy um, where we're at in this year and uh, add a little December nor'easter to us looking ahead at the um, the big storylines, the return of the league. Last week we talked um, a- a- about a number of things in depth. One of them was what you thought about uh, the Milwaukee Bucks moves, whether or not they could uh, help get them to the finals and whether or not it will uh, keep Giannis in Milwaukee long-term. So we found out one of those things this week as uh, he signs the five-year, $228 million max deal. Um, So first, your reaction, and then uh, how much does this happening now help the Bucs as a team in the season ahead? Well, the first thing that comes to mind immediately is I want to applaud Giannis and his family for really accepting the challenge of the next chapter of his life off the court and on the court. And it's easy for young people to find a reason to walk away from responsibility. This young man Giannis, what he said to the league, to all of the other players, his constituents in the business, his peers, and more importantly, what he said to the city of Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Bucks and that franchise is, I'm willing to accept that, I'm willing to accept the responsibility 
of being the best player on this team and whatever comes with that, good, bad, or indifferent. I applaud that. That to me is leadership. Now they have stabilized their leadership on the court because that group, the players are the only group that can actually affect change. Like we can talk about owners, you can talk about general managers and executives and coaches. The only group that can affect the game immediately are the players. Well, the arguably, and I happen to believe also that he is the best player currently in the NBA. And right now he has two feet in the game. So now they've stabilized their leadership. Now it's important for the organization now to figure out over the next five years, what is needed to get the outcome that we in the media, the organization, the players are placing on themselves because clearly you don't have a two-time MVP, a defensive player of the year, and not have the expectations of what comes with that, which is ultimately winning the last game of the season. I applaud Giannis. I think it's great. I think he has said to everyone, yeah, there are other great players in the league, but I'm the best. I'm not running to go play with anyone else. The last great player who did that, his name was Tim Duncan. And you accept that challenge. I love it. I love what he's done. I applaud it. He was already one of my favorite players. He now is my favorite player currently playing now in the NBA because of what he stands for. Like, I'm the best player. I'm going to accept this responsibility. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to, I'm not looking to run and take my ability somewhere else and pair up with another player. If you want to come play with me, great. But right now I'm committed here and I'm going to do this. So I applaud it. So first things first, just getting this down. Giannis is now BJ Armstrong's favorite player in the NBA. Check. Second is I'm glancing at the salary cap and their multi-year contract summary. So it is interesting seeing how this roster has been uh, put together. Obviously, they bring in Holiday, who has a player option next season for $26 million and change. So Holiday is going to be there for two years. Chris Middleton is signed through uh, 2024. That is a player option that year. Giannis's contract, the new one, begins next year and is a five-year deal uh, with an option for Giannis after the fourth. So um, Giannis and Middleton, of course, are going to be staples, unless, of course, they decide that uh, this combo doesn't work after this year. But it's going to be interesting to see how this team goes about uh, tinkering uh, adding ingredients as they go and ultimately maximizing the uh, window of success with Giannis in this deal. So, I mean, it's hard to say you could put any more pressure on the guy than the last two years as he was the regular season MVP twice and ran into two very, very hot playoff opponents twice and ultimately uh, bowed out in the conference finals in 19 to the Raptors in the semis last year to the heat in the bubble. Um, is there 
Is there any way to have more pressure on Giannis right now with this contract? Or does this ease the burden of the pressure knowing I'm here, we've made some moves, and we're going to take this next step. It's just a matter of time. What do you think? With this contract comes the following question. You can't talk about what you want to do anymore. Now comes the hard part. You have to find a way. That's called grit, my friend. Giannis and company moving forward are going to have to find a way and overcome whatever obstacle is placed in front of them. Whether that means, what does that mean? That means there are going to be injuries along the way. There's going to be contract disputes along the way. There are going to be trades. There are going to be unhappy players. There may be losing of coaches or executives. In spite of all those things, Giannis, who will be leading this ship, is going to have to find a way to win the final game of the season if he's going to be a champion. That is the goal now. All of the other things, the money is set. The leader is set. We know where we're going to be for the next 60 months. Now it's time to find a way to get the job done. As I had a coach who told me this once, Eric, he said, don't tell me how rough it is in the sea. Just bring in the ship. Now, Giannis, my friend, let's move to the next phase of your career. A true superstar. Superstars find a way in spite of the odds. He doesn't have maybe a player of a Anthony Davis next to him. He doesn't have a player, you know, maybe some of, maybe his number two player, number three player aren't as good as some of the other players. In spite of that, that young man now has to find a way. And that is the attitude of a star, a true star. And now let's go for it. I'm excited because he's he is pushing the envelope and taking on all of the things that you saw players have to do prior to him now players come into the nba they're already a star well they haven't played a game yet Giannis is earning his stripes this wasn't given to him he didn't come into the nba as a mcdonald's all-american he didn't come into the nba with the expectation that he was going to be mvp someday he has earned that he's worked to that Every year, he adds something new to his game. And now what we're seeing is a young man who's shouldering the responsibility of a franchise and a city. That says something about him, says something about his character. It says something about who he could become. I'm excited to see who he's going to be in the next four to five years. Remember, Eric, because I could talk about him all day for just the entire show. Remember, Eric. This young man has already won two MVPs, already Defensive Player of the Year. He's all NBA, and he's an unfinished product. Yeah. And and I think what... Unfinished what, product. This isn't the best of Giannis right now. No, no. And and I think just to, to dive in here, I think it it's forgotten what his starting point was when he got drafted. He was a complete project 
that so many teams passed on. He was this, you know, skinny, gangly teenager who was playing against what? Set me straight. B-level international competition? At the very best. I saw him play in Greece. I saw him. So take take us back there. What, what, I saw a young. I like? saw my first viewing of him was I saw him playing in like third division in Greece, and you could see what he could become. You could see his potential. You saw his length. You saw his ability to rebound the basketball and push it out and deliver. Same things you're seeing now, but the competition was so low you didn't know if he could do it against this level of competition or not because he was playing against third division in Greece but you saw you know you you saw the potential you saw you you saw a kid he was very skinny back then but he always played physical he never shied away from the contact and he had these huge hands he had huge hands like you saw this long, skinny kid with just huge hands. He could just palm the ball and he could pass. He could pass a little bit. You, he always had that ability. So to see where he's at now, to see where he's going to go with this type of work ethic and determination, it's an unstoppable force. This young man is an unstoppable force. And I continue to say this because when you talk to players in the NBA and you talk to coaches, this young man is a jump shot away and he's already terrorizing this league. He's already, you can't guard him with one or two players. You got to guard him with a team. He is a jump shot away, a consistent jump shot away from having a run in the NBA like no one has seen. Why? Because there isn't another player that can match up with him athletically, with his length, the ability to play full court, half court, screen roll, whatever you want to do. There isn't another player in the NBA that can match up to this young man. There isn't another player. Athletically, I don't think we've ever seen a player like him at this size be able to do what we're currently watching him do and remember eric remember this is a game now where we keep emphasizing small ball there's nothing small about him nope there's nothing small about him and he continues to dominate the game in an era where we're constantly praising small ball. We're constantly praising the three-point shot. We're constantly praising teams play with four out, five guys out, what have you. Well, here's a seven-footer, because he is seven, he's every bit of seven-foot, who plays the game without a consistent jump shot, and he's the most dominant player in the game. And there isn't a team, there isn't a coach who could tell me right now that they can guard him one-on-one nobody i don't care if it's in the playoffs i don't care if it's a regular season you have to guard him as a team because that young man there will 
he'll 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 run it right down your throat. And that is what separates him. And when he finally figures that that next phase out, it's over. It's over in this league. So speaking of team, and we're gonna get to some other impactful moves that uh, a number of teams have made in this off season and how they play into the, the season that's rapidly approaching. But speaking of team, and I know we talked about the Bucks moves last week, and I know you think that they still they're, they're still not there yet, right? Milwaukee as like the clear cut favorite. And obviously the games are played on the court. They're not played on paper. They're not played in this podcast. But one more question about the Bucks: What's the one ingredient you think they need to add to help Giannis and the rest of the crew get to the finals? What is that ingredient? Well, the one championship ingredient, which will always remain, will always be intact, will never change as much as the game has changed. And we want to, you know, now we're looking at the, th- the, the, the really the impact of the three-point shot. You have to have a minimum of two players who can create off the dribble and create a shot, not only for themselves, but for the team. Middleton is a terrific catch and shoot player. He's a terrific, what we would consider a guy who can make open shots. If he gets a good look at the basket, he's good. He's a clutch player. He's a very good basketball player. But when you get to the championship level caliber of game, you have to have players who can create shots off the dribble because the defense improves drastically in the playoffs. They don't have a second player yet. Maybe that's Drew Holiday this year. So you, so you, you still think Holiday's got to prove that's him? He could be the second. Well, he hasn't done it. Playmaker he, off the dribble guy. What you do in the regular season is the regular season. Yep. Okay. What you do in the regular the regular season is the regular season. The playoffs are the playoffs, and then when you get to the championship game, to the conference finals, and to the to the to the finals, the mm-hmm. NBA finals. The, the attention to detail is so great that any flaws that you have in your game will be exposed. Just because you had a great regular season doesn't mean that you're going to have a great finals. I'm playing against perhaps the best player I've played against all season for potentially seven games. And everyone's going to be at their best, their peak. There's no back-to-back. There's no advantage of travel. Everyone's going to be at the same that's a different game so when I look at the game the only thing that I see with this Milwaukee Bucks is if Giannis is not having a Giannis type game is there another player that can step in and create advantage for himself or the team until Giannis because you're not good a great player is never going to have back-to-back bad games if Giannis doesn't play well in game one, well, game two, you can you can you can put that in pen. He's going to have a great game in game two because he's okay. a great player. Yep. What I see with the, the Bucks is they don't have that player yet who can play that game at that level and create for the rest of the team. 
they have all of the other pieces. They have they have scoring. I think they have defensive dis- discipline. I think they have offensive discipline. I think they are a well-conditioned team. I think they're a well-coached team. But you got to have that player when the plays don't work, yep. can just go get it. It may you may need that player for only five minutes to just go and play when the game is unorganized and the offense doesn't seem to work. Just just go get it. Just go make a great play. That is what they're missing. Maybe Drew Holiday is that player because Middleton, without question, will keep the defense honest. He's in the scouting report. Stay home with him. Well, yeah. if you stay home with him, you stay home with Giannis. You can't leave Giannis. You stay home with Lopez. You got to stay home with Lopez. That means there is room on the floor to operate. Now, yep. if Drew Holiday could do that, that will open up a new venue, a new avenue for the Milwaukee Bucks to exploit how to play at the championship level. Because I'll say it again, their best player, you cannot defend him for seven games one-on-one. You got to defend him in transition, half court, out of bounds. You got you to put two play, a minimum of two players on him, probably more, because no one can stop. The guy only needs one or two dribbles from half court before he's dunking the ball. He can't be stopped. But that's my observation of the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting when you look at it, it's like, do they have to go out and add something or is what they need potentially already on the roster and holiday just has to uh, answer the bell in those postseason situations. I mean, you hit it on the head. He's done it in the regular season, but in big playoff moments, I mean, he's only played uh, I, I believe he's played out of the first round twice, once with the Hornets and once in his early years uh, with Philly, but I got to double check that. But, you know, the, the other little moves, you know, a vet like DJ Augustine, a guy that needed uh, to find a, a, a winning atmosphere who's very skilled in Bobby Portis, uh, Bryn Forbes, who has proved himself to be a, a valuable role player under Popovich, uh, Dante DiVincenzo thinking he was getting it traded to now possibly uh, being a starter at the two, and Tory Craig, somebody who I... Uh, I, I liked in Denver as a as a wing defender. So uh, I, I think they punched up the roster a bit. But to your point, that consistent number two playmaker in big moments, allowing Middleton to go to that third spot, be more comfortable as a shooter, um, time will tell. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on everything Milwaukee. And as you said, uh, we could probably do a show about Giannis uh, every other week. Let's go to Atlanta. This team has uh, been in rebuild mode for a minute, and now they make some major additions. So they add Rondo, Gallinari, uh, Bogdanovich. They add those guys to their young core of Trey Young, John Collins, uh, Kevin Herter, Clint Capella, and DeAndre Hunter. Um, How good can this team be? What are your expectations? Well, first, I just want to, I've always wanted to say this on air. ATL, yo. <laughs> just wanted to say that. We could, we could check We could check that box. We could I want to check that, that with Ernie. You know, I want to check that with Ernie, you know, at TNT. When he said right. that one night. That's great. 
So I just wanted to say that. That's great. This Atlanta Hawks team is interesting because offensively, they've created an amazing amount of space on the floor. Gallinari, you have to stay at home. Bogdanovich, you have to stay at home. Trey Young, you better guard him from the bus, the locker room. So they have created a lot of space on the floor for athletes like Capella and their athletes that they have on the floor. They have some nice young bodies uh, to come out and play. But what does this mean? To be a good team, your stability has to be your defense and defensive presence every single night. Offensively, on paper, they should be able to score the ball. But will they be scoring the ball, taking the ball out of their own basket? Or will they be getting stops and creating havoc on the floor so that they can have the continuity of what all good teams have? They can get stops when needed. They have a lot of questions on that end of the ball. Defensively, I don't like this team because it's going to put a lot of pressure on Clint Capella to defend the rim and be the anchor. Because many of those players that I just talked about, Gallinari, Bodanovich, and Trey Young, they're not known for their defensive pressure or defensive ability as of yet. And that's going to put a lot of pressure on the front court players to have to take up for what those players won't do because this league now is about doing three things. We're going to drive to the basket. We're going to shoot threes. Okay. And we're going to try to get fouled at the free throw line. Well, if they're not defending well on the perimeter, it's going to put a lot of pressure on their backcourt, their, their front court players to always help. And that's, that should give the opposing team an advantage to draw and kick, mm-hmm. attack the, their bigs, so forth and so on. I do like what they've done. I think they, I think they, the organization has made a clear conscious decision to say, we want to improve in the winning column this year with the players they brought in. They made a commitment financially, but most importantly, are they going to get the results that they're looking for? I always look on the other side of the ball because defense, you can do that every single night. I can't count on my jump shot being hot every single game, but defensively I can count on the effort and energy that's necessary. So I think they should improve by the quality of players they brought in on the offensive end, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get the results that they're looking for because you have to be able to defend. And right now I have a lot of concerns on that side of the ball. If you're talking about having a sustained level of play that we're looking for, because I think Atlanta is looking to take the next jump with their franchise. You know, you think about the talent here and I'm thinking about what you're saying about the defensive side of the ball that I'm thinking about, um, potential lineup combinations and rotation. And it's going to be an interesting decision for Lloyd Pierce. Like how much shooting does he want to put on the floor at once, knowing that the more he adds, the worse he's going to be at the other end. Um, do you know coach Pierce at all? Do you, do you? So, and he obviously as quickly, uh, I mean, he had a great reputation as an assistant. Uh, clearly they're looking to build with him at the helm here. Um, 
you know, in, in a couple of sentences, how, how do you sum up Coach Pierce, uh, he, his DNA, and how that translates to what this team could be? Well, the one thing that I'm sure of, Coach Pierce and his staff will say internally, maybe they won't express this in the media, but I will say it here, is that he's going to have to manage the expectations of winning because with those players that they added and the financial ramifications of the players signed at the number they were signed at, we want results now. If this team doesn't start out well, let's say seven and three, eight and two, I think you're going to get grumblings down there in Atlanta because offensively, which we tend to look at first, yep. people are going to say, well, they should be better. How could you not be better? You know, you have Trey Young, you have Gallinari, you have Bodanovich. Well, they all can't play well on the offensive side of the ball because there's only one ball. Someone, one or two of those players is not going to jump out of the gate immediately. It will be okay as long as they win because you can absorb not playing well and winning. If you're not playing well and you're losing, well, who's who's gonna be the first person that they're gonna look at? They're not gonna say, get rid of Trey Young. They're not gonna say, get rid of Gallinari. They're gonna say, well, maybe we need a different coach. So hmm. I think the first thing that has to happen is they have to get out of the gate early and then try to establish that they can be a good team because this team doesn't know if they're going to be a good team yet. They haven't been together long enough to know what they can and can't do. But I think it's important for them in the first 10 games to get out of the gate, to establish that they are a good team, to be a confident group. And then I think the coaches and all of the things that they need to do, the right combinations, bringing this guy along, maybe finding who can play with who, that can take care of itself. But I think it's these first 10 to 15 games are very important for this franchise because they are a very fragile group, in my opinion. They're a fragile group. Why? Because they've never played together. And now with these big salaries, with these veteran players, now everyone is looking and saying they should be a better team than a year ago. A lot of people thought they'd move their pick. They drafted Okongwu, another frontcourt player. So now they have him on a rookie deal. Capella making $18 million. Collins is still on his rookie deal. A lot of teams have expressed interest in him. Then you have DeAndre Hunter, who plays a little bit more of a 3-4 a combo. Um, is this team likely to make a move at some point to clear up this front court and also simplify the cap? Are you hearing anything in that realm before we move off the Hawks? Well, those are a lot of players. Those are a lot of good players, quality players. Those are what we would consider now rotational players. Yeah. So again, I think it, get, it gets back to the following. Who is going to be their core group of players? Because they can't pay everyone. Those players are, you know, they've accomplished some things, right? They may not have won the championship and, and some of them are still young enough. They haven't maximized who they're going to be or what they're going to be yet. But those are very good rotational players for a lot of teams in the NBA. 
So I think it's important for them to get out early to figure out who are who's going to be their top eight or nine players. Yep. And then begin to figure out, well, if this guy isn't going to be in our rotation, maybe we can get something back that will complement this group. Because these players are going to demand, those young players in particular are going to demand, you know, that they, you know, that that they get the value that a player of those scout. Collins is a very good player. DeAndre Hunter, I think, is going to be a very good player. And you can't pay everyone. But those are good problems to have if you're Atlanta, in particular, if you're able to win, because now it gives you options. And it's always better to be in a position where you have an advantage as an organization if you're winning and you have good players. The last thing you want to be in is a, a team that is a bad team with a lot of players where the rest of the league are saying, well, those players are going to leave anyway. So I think these first 10 or 15 games are going to be very important for the franchise and will determine the success of the franchise moving forward. Let's go to Phoenix. The Suns make a huge move to bring in Chris Paul. They ship out Kelly Oubre Jr., Ricky Rubio, draft picks as they look to accelerate winning with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. How does CP3 position the Suns, BJ, to take a major step forward in the Western Conference? If you're the Phoenix Suns right now, you're saying the following. We have our leader. We have our quarterback. We have the guy that we can put the ball in his hand and know that the ball will get to where it needs to get to at the right time. He will make big shots. He will display every single time he comes on the floor, Chris Paul, the leadership that's necessary to excel at the highest level of this league. He can still play the game at the highest level. That's huge for any franchise. That's huge. That's huge. So Chris Paul has stabilized that immediately. There's no doubt who the leader of the franchise is. With Chris Paul, I expect a huge bump in play not from Booker, but from DeAndre Ayton. Because every big man knows, and Eric, as you know, secretly, I'm a big guy. I'm just trapped in this little body. <laughs> every big guy depends on a point guard to get them the ball. I expect DeAndre Ayton to take a huge leap this year because of the presence of Chris Paul. A huge leap. I'm expecting him to be better on the defensive end. I'm expecting him to be outstanding on the offensive end. And with the addition of Chris Paul, I'm really anticipating a huge jump in the win column for this Phoenix Suns franchise. That's what I'm really expecting now. So I like the, I like Chris Paul with this team. He is a savvy veteran. He can handle this pressure, but more importantly, I think he will give this team the sense of urgency that's necessary to win at this league. Talking about winning is different than actually going out and doing the job. They lose two games in a row there. Chris Paul's voice will be heard in that locker room. That young man is a competitor. That young man knows how to fight. And that young man has shown time and time again that when he gets knocked down, that he's going to get back up. I love what he brings. 
I love what he did last year, a year ago in OKC. And I'm expecting the same or the same type of result there in Phoenix. It will be great for Devin Booker to get to the playoffs. That'll be a huge jump in his career. And let's not forget about our good friend, Monty down there, Coach yep. Williams. What he has done there, in particular in the bubble, was excellent. So you can see the culture beginning to shift with Chris Paul, I think pushes them over the top. And I'm really excited about the direction of this franchise. Yeah, Monty Williams definitely laid the foundation. They were great to watch in the bubble. Uh, and then you take exactly what you said, what CP3 was able to do in Oklahoma City last year. You apply that to this roster, this team. I mean, you have the 7 through 10 play-in now as part of the playoff system for the upcoming season. I don't think it's a question of if they're a playoff team. It's it's how high can they ascend here in the standings and how they could position themselves, which is going to be really exciting. And, I mean, we see the raw talent in Aiton. Now, with CP3 feeding him the ball and always in his ear, uh, along with the coaching of Monty Williams, um, this guy's going to be scary. And the combination of Paul, Booker, and Aiton with some of those other pieces, I love the Jay Crowder move uh, for them as a, as a as a three four swing, add some toughness, uh, play both sides of the ball, and uh, Mikhail Bridges looks to be taking the next steps too as a, as a significant uh Wing contributor. So Phoenix is going to be uh, exciting for sure. Um, let's stay on the West Coast, a team that we're always talking about. The other team in your uh, zip code, your area code, the Clippers. They say goodbye to Doc Rivers after their disappointing loss to the Nuggets after being up 3-1 in the West semis. Ty Lue takes over. Montrez goes across the hall, Montrez Harrell goes across the hall <laughs> to the Lakers, and Serge Ibaka replaces him in the front court. How do we expect these moves to impact the Clippers? And in your mind, as we start the season, are they still a legit finals contender? Well, Eric, you know, I was a huge Clipper fan a year ago. On record. Fan. Both on record. On record. Okay. You don't just lose a Doc Rivers. You don't just lose that level of leadership. Whether or not he can coach, or whether you believe he's one of the best coaches, I happen to believe he's one of the best coaches in the entire NBA. When you don't, when you lose leadership like that, because you don't just easily replace that type of leadership. You don't just take away no, that, that a great leader. That, that, that doesn't show up at your door uh, okay. on a monthly basis. You don't. So that, to me, is going to significantly impact this team. To what degree, I have no idea. And this doesn't say anything about Coach Lou. Coach Lou is terrific. He's won a championship. He is a terrific coach himself. But you don't just lose Doc Rivers. You don't just lose Montrez Harrell and then say, this is a championship caliber team. There will be some ramification, some impact to what degree, okay, we don't know. 
Well, here's my best guess. When I watched the Clippers a year ago, they had a glaring weakness with their team. They did not have a lead guard who could break down the defense and keep the pressure that is necessary in today's game. What does that lead guard look like today? He looks like Jamal Murray. He looks like Damian Lillard. He looks like Kyrie Irving. He looks like James Harden. He looks like Russell Westbrook. He looks like all of those young players, Steph Curry, so forth and so on, where you have a lead guard who can keep the defensive pressure, in particular in transition, to break down your defense to do what? Either get to the basket himself, draw and kick, or get fouled, because that's the game today. Now, when I look at their team, their best ball handlers, in particular in the starting lineup, is Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Patrick Beverly, that's not what Patrick Beverly does. Patrick Beverly is a terrific defensive player and all the things that he brings. But you need that guard who can come in and play the game that way if you're going to win in today's game. So, and you brought this up last week, and it's a great point, but do you think they're going to try to do that via Kawhi and Paul George? And I, I don't say, think it's, I don't think it's say, possible. We're going we're gonna to do it through I, the wing instead of the I, I, I don't. I don't think that's possible. Why? The reason I don't think it's possible is because you're asking Kawhi Leonard, who is one of, let's just, for the sake of argument, he's one of the top five players in the league. You're going to ask him to take away what is his greatest gift and biggest contribution to the team, his ability to score in key situations, meaning he has to be in an operating area where he has to either do one of the following. Either he's going to score himself or create opportunities for the rest of the team because he's going to get doubled or triple team. Now I'm asking him to do another thing, which is to facilitate, run the offense, manage time and score as a lead guard. Now, last year you say, well, what LeBron did it. He did it during the regular season. But when the playoffs began, LeBron James quietly slid over to the wing and began to score at a 25 to 30 point clip and yep. Rondo quietly slid into that yeah, Rondo and came took back. on yep. and took on that role and Rondo was scoring the ball why because every team needs a lead guard who can score to keep those other lead guards honest you can't play against Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell and score eight points. You got to score 20 points just to offset these guys. These guys are scoring 35, 40 points. And you have to be able to play the game and, and dominate the game in that little area, that space where your point guard comes off, plays screen roll. And then if you have wing players like a LeBron James or a Kawhi Leonard, you got to allow those wing players to be able to do what they do, which is every time they catch the ball, 90% of the time they should be in the position to do one or two things score by driving the ball shoot to three or play screen roll and if i'm asking Kawhi leonard to do more than that i'm taken away from his ability to be Kawhi leonard when you look at what he was able to do in san antonio what he was able to do just recently in toronto he had quality guards who did the following 
they kept pressure on the defense. Kyle Lowry and Van Fleet kept, they kept the defensive pressure on the opposing team by their excellent guard play. And then when you add Kawhi Leonard to that as a wing player, now he becomes the Kawhi Leonard that we saw in Toronto. Because that Kawhi Leonard, if you can allow him to just move around the court and play and score the basketball, there aren't many players that can defend him. But if I'm asking him to play at the top of the key, assume that responsibility, well, why do I want Kawhi Leonard bringing the ball up the court in the last four minutes of a, of a game? I want him to operate on the strong side of the weak side of the defense so that you can't focus your defense on my best player because clearly he's the best player on their team. So that's how I see it. I think they, they're going to have to add a scoring lead guard who can score, who could play, who could get 20 points a game so that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George can do what they really do, which is to be wing players, just be a wing player. Now, can they do it in gaps? Yeah, they can do it. Just like LeBron James can do it in gaps. But are you telling me having LeBron James at the top of the key in the playoffs is the best place to have a 6'8 player that is versatile? No, you want LeBron James to do a little bit of this, do a little bit of that, play screen role, maybe do a little post-up, maybe play at the pinch post. You want, to, you want to take advantage of his versatility. I want to do that with Kawhi Leonard. And right now, I don't see that ball handler that can do that consistently during the regular season, let alone in the playoffs. What does Serge Ibaka bring to the front court that they did not have prior? I happen to like Serge coming off the bench. I thought Serge hmm. Ibaka had assumed the role of what Andre Iguodala had done for the Golden State Warriors. Andre Iguodala is a starter, but as a bench player, now he becomes a major problem. That's what I saw with Andre Iguodala going to the bench there in Golden State. He was a major problem because there wasn't another player who could match up with Andre Iguodala. He could play backup one, two, three. And then when they went to their death lineup or what they call it, the, the, the small ball lineup, he would be the four. And then that was a real problem because he was an extra ball handler. I love Serge Ibaka when he went to the bench. And here's why, because he's a athletic four, but he is a superior backup five. He's a stretch five. There's only two stretch fives in currently now in the NBA, one being Brooke Lopez and the other was Serge Ibaka. And there wasn't another player in where do you, the league. Where do, you put the, where do you put the Joker there? Joker is Joker. Joker is his own category. Joker, Joker is Joker. Like I, he's not, he can shoot the three, but that's not really. Right, but he's not sitting out there as a stretcher. He's just not, no. So. Kind of like talking movie villains. Joker is Joker. Joker is Joker. Joker is in his own category. I, I mean, what does when you watch this guy? I mean, this guy's taking it behind his back, taking between his legs. No. I mean, fair, he, fair as you enough. know, fair he, he, fair he, 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 he's very he's the most charming player in the NBA. The Joker. When you watch the Joker, you have to watch and go, 
that's just joker that's not you kids don't try that at home all the bigs no you shouldn't be playing that way but he can do it when you put Serge Ibaka at the five there isn't another five man that is as athletic as he is can play the way he plays how does he play he can play vertical basketball he can play above the rim he can shoot to three and then what he does exceptionally well especially as a five is he can rim protect there wasn't another five or big in the league that another team could come off the bench that can match his athletic ability and his skill set that wasn't a huge advantage to me he was the andre iguodala of the bigs how do you match that like serge Ibaka comes in comes in for marcus soul and then all of a sudden you go he gives the whole team a different look and they're probably better in today's game because he can play the game faster than mark can play yeah so serge was a major problem i like serge coming off the bench serge now playing as a starter What's his advantage? It's, it's it's interesting. I mean, I I love what he brings to that lineup. I see what I see what your point is with off the bench. Obviously, in Toronto, that was perfect. Um, you know, last year with the Clippers, whether you're talking about when they were playing really well before the pause of the season or when they were coming back in the bubble, you know, they would always be relying on Trez for that offensive lift off the bench. At that spot, they would rely on Zubak to do a lot of the dirty work, get some easy buckets uh, as the starter. He had defensive limitations, though he busted his butt. I think Surge in the starting lineup makes them that much better of a defensive team, and it also creates more space for their uh, perimeter players on offense to do what they do best. So I'm very intrigued to see how... Abaka fits in with the clips. So I would, I would much rather personally, I would much rather have Serge coming off the bench. That would give me great comfort if I were coaching the team, sure. of knowing that I can at any moment I could bring in Serge Abaka and my team is nine times out of ten better. That would give me great comfort. And I look at Serge as four players. He's an offensive player on both sides of the ball at the four and the five. Two-way player, both sides of the, ball, the ball, four on the five. The five. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. Serge Ibaka to me is, he's like my comfort blanket as a coach. Because yeah. if you go small, Serge Ibaka can play small ball. If yep. you go big, you can play big boy yep. basketball. And yep. I can plug him in at the four and the five. So to me, to me, if you're playing, let's say you're playing the Lakers. I like the matchup of Zubox and Gasol. Mm -hmm. Two big guys. And I like the matchup of. Abaka and Anthony Davis. Okay. But what I don't like is why do I have Serge Abaka playing against both of those guys individually without another big body beside him? Right. See, to, to, I, I, but I'm just trying to look at the game as saying what, you know, when you play against, you know, my favorite, one of my also favorite players is Bo Bo. That's your guy. That's my guy. That's your guy. I don't want Serge Ibaka having to fight with 
Jokic for 48 minutes. Right. But I like to pick and choose how I utilize Serge. I can put up against Bo Bo a little bit. I can put up against Jokic a little bit, and I can move him around the court. Now, he, to me, is my advantage. Advantage Clippers if you utilize them in that way. That's how I see it. But we'll see. You know, you and I are just talking about the game, but I would bring him without question off the bench. I'm in, de- I'm in deep thought about their rotation, but I digress. Let's let's go back to the East. Speaking of Doc Rivers, the Sixers welcomed Doc with open arms after they moved on from Brett Brown. They've altered their roster in a big way. They added shooting with Seth Curry and Danny Green. They moved on from Al Horford, his contract, and that front court logjam. But wisely for their depth, they added Dwight Howard to be Embiid's backup on a vet minimum deal. Do these moves make the Sixers a better team from day one, from Doc through the roster changes? I'm going to guard against this at the beginning. The answer, the quick answer is yes, but I'm going to say this. We may not get the results early in the season to warrant saying that they are better than they were a year ago. And here's why. Mentally, this team, they got to get tougher. I think mentally, this team is a very weak team, if I may use that word. I don't think mentally they are as strong you, as they you, need you, you to be. Just, you, you just did. Yeah, I don't think mentally they are as strong as they need to be to be a championship caliber team. The noise appears to get to them. The outside noise. And playing on the road. It's been interesting for me to watch how Doc Rivers has carefully made the transition there to Philadelphia. Doc Rivers, who I've known now for 30 years, when you watch Doc Rivers play, he was a tough player. He's a tough nose player. He was a grinder. He has been extraordinarily complimentary of this group in the free season. <laughs> he knows how to play the game. Okay. Now, to those of us who really know Glenn Rivers, he tells you like it is. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He comes right at you. He thrives in the chaos of the NBA. He loves the Paul Pierce players, the Kevin Garnett players, the Rondo players. There isn't any compliment. You're not complimenting and saying, hey, Kevin, play better. He's a tough-nosed coach who demands toughness. But Doc Rivers has really done, and to me, he's been excellent at how he's managing this group in the media because he's been extraordinarily complimentary of this group to the media. And the first thing that I noticed when I saw this, I said, he's working on the mental toughness of this group by giving them the confidence so that when he gets to practice and he really tells Ben Simmons what he really thinks, you will have a balance. Why am I saying this? Because every coach, every leader, every executive, anyone who is in a position of power understand this. 
if I'm going to say something negative or tell someone, you know, that could be perceived as a negative thing, coaching can be perceived if you tell someone, no, Eric, you can't do that. I have to be, I have to give you twice the compliment to offset the negative criticism. So Doc it, is getting this team in position to do what we've all been saying for the last two, three, two or three years, which is, will they accept great coaching? Will Joel Embiid finally accept the following? Joel Embiid, if you get in the best shape, you perhaps is probably a top five player in this league. Do you plain really want to be coach? Plain, plain and now, simple. I can't just come in and start telling the guy what he can't do. I got to find a way to connect to this guy. And it's easier to connect to so, connect with someone if you can get, get their trust. So Doc is establishing what he's saying about Ben Simmons. I like what Doc is establishing with, with Joel Embiid. And I really like the fact that I know Doc Rivers said, if I want to have this guy be my best player, the move of free agency was he got Dwight Howard there because your best teacher as a coach is the bench. The best teacher for any coach is the bench. If Joel Embiid is not ready to play for whatever the reason may be, Dwight Howard is sitting there. See, competition is your best teacher. Now, I love what Doc is doing. He hasn't come in and start stomping his feet. He hasn't said anything negative. He's been extraordinarily positive. The media, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, if you watch them play in their preseason game, they were defending. They were accepting coaching. And when I saw them, I go, oh, wow, Joel Embiid looks a little different. Ben Simmons looks a little different. And if they listen to that man, Mr. Rivers, they got a chance there in Philly because he knows what he's doing. And I love the mental games that these coaches do to connect with the, with the group. He's done a great job. And I expect Tobias Harris because he was playing some of perhaps his best basketball when he was with the Clippers. I expect Tobias Harris to return back to that Tobias Harris that was playing at a very high level in LA under Doc Rivers, because he's a vet. And I think this group has a chance, but I'm not expecting them to get off to an early start because great coaches all know this. I may have to lose before I can win. My players have to be mad when they lose. Like, I knew we were going to be a good team. Every good team I played on is when I lost, I was mad after the game. It wasn't like, oh, I just lost, and there's a game tomorrow. Like, this team in Philly, I want to see them, like, play in some competitive games and be mad and then come back the next game with the sense of urgency that you say, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a little upset because I expect more of myself. So I expect this team to be somewhere around 500 and then maybe 35, 40 games in, they finally, it clicks with them because Doc Rivers has gotten through to them to say, you guys 
have earned the right of me to trust you all to correct yourself on the floor. And when I see that team do that, because Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, they, they're stars. They really have star potential. They really do. I think Doc Rivers is waiting on that moment. And I think that's not going to come to 35, 40 games into the season. And then once it does, then I think you and I will be talking about where Philly could really end up this year yeah, and, the playoffs. and they've got they're, they're and a they've, great they have a great they have great talent yeah and they've got to form a they've got to form a new identity and i, and I think doc is going to be this tough love um whether whatever you want to call it big brother uncle father figure for them and we know that persona of his as a coach um very well from his 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 multiple stops where he's found you know the ultimate success in winning a championship maximizing limited talent like he did with the Clippers a few years ago or way back in the day with Orlando. Um, but he, he, I, I like the point you made most about I've got to build up th their confidence right now, especially in, 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 in you know, public facing and this team, you know, it, you know, we're recording this on Thursday, December 17th. I don't normally keep um, the debate shows on, during the day, and I know I mentioned this to you before we came on today, but I, I had ESPN on this morning, and I'm mentioning this because it was the typical, uh, you know, manufactured debate. This was Giannis Anthony Davis, but like Ben Simmons' name kept getting pulled into the debate as an example of a star talent that can't shoot, and I'm so tired of just the 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 negativity being so natural in analyzing teams and players and coaches like all joking aside like the whole Celtic Sixers thing that I always do it's it's just it's it's fun because Celtic Sixers is one of those rivalries and I've got a really good friend who's a Sixers fan and we're always going at it but like these guys are so talented and so uniquely gifted there is not another ben simmons in the league there is not another joel Embiid in the league and what they can be with tobias as that mark it down every night tobias is getting 20 to 24 points like if he can be that consistent guy and be that much more efficient and he needs to be unfortunately because of that contract and all that goes with it um good for him getting the contract but now he's got to deliver um this team could be potentially, um, you know, a, a finals candidate if they mesh the way that you uh, that you think they can over uh, under Doc. Excuse me. Sorry, I just dropped this wire. Um, okay. Final segment. We did it last week. We're going to do it again this week. One great story with BJ, and. I thought of, I'm going to lead you in a quick direction thematically because you just mentioned it. Uh, when you think about lessons learned about winning through your time in the league, either on the way to the first title before it, whatever it is, what's one great story that you haven't told that ties back to that? Well, you know, when I came into this league, as a young player, I didn't know anything. I had played on some good teams in high school and I was pretty much one of the top players in college, the same. And 
I had a coach that always tell us that he would always tell us after Phil Jackson would give the final speech in the locker room before we would go on the floor, he would say, gentlemen, there's no replacement for effort and energy. Now, after hearing this for about two or three years, I finally got up the courage to ask Tex, what did that really mean? There's no replacement for effort and energy. And he said to me, he looked at me and he said, BJ, game plans are great. Having, you know, great plays and great players are great, but the game will only be won in between the lines. And he said, and the only way it will be won if you are willing to give the effort and the energy necessary to win that game. And I thought, oh. well, you know, we can talk about game plans and great coaching and great players and all of those things, but it always boils down to me willing to go out there and take on the responsibility of the outcome of that game. Because there's nothing else the coaches could do. There's nothing that the executives who are sitting in the suites can do. There's nothing the owners can do. There's nothing the fans can do. And if I'm not willing to give the effort and the energy necessary. And when he said that to me, it put in, it, it, it had never been explained to me that way, but I felt an enormous amount of pressure and responsibility to go out there and play for not only myself, but for those other players. Because it wasn't about whether I made a shot or missed a shot. It wasn't about whether or not the other player made a shot or missed a shot. It was all about, was I willing to pay the price to go win? And I never forgot that. So I, I, I changed up everything. I think this was in year two, I think when I finally asked him that. And he gave me that answer. And I think that was the second year. That was the year we won the championship. I quickly realized that I had a responsibility to those other guys in the locker room. And I stopped worrying about the little things. I stopped worrying about whether or not I played well. I stopped worrying about whether or not I made a shot. I started worrying about whether or not I got eight assists. I just wanted to bring the energy and the effort that was necessary to be the best to be the best version of myself with this group and i took great pride in that and that's my story for today because you know i learned that from tex winners and tex would always say that and i think every player has played he was like gentlemen can't win the game in the locker room there's no replacement for effort and energy and he would walk out <laughs> he would do that every game Simple. and you were like what Simple. does that mean like what does that mean he didn't like say go team and he would always say that and um so that was uh that's that's my story of how i began to understand what winning meant in this league and how difficult it is to win in this league and i have a deep appreciation for teams that win because it's a very difficult thing that's not something i take for granted 
it's very difficult to win, let alone win a championship. So, and all of these things that we talk about, great players and great coaches, and certainly there are a ton of great players and great coaches in this league, but it always boils down to one simple thing. And what is your effect on winning and losing? And when you find great people, because that's what they are, great people who can contribute to winning, it's, it's one of the more magnificent things you will experience in life. And all of those championship teams that I played on, every time I see those guys, it is, it's pure joy. It's pure bliss. You're like connected with somebody for the rest of your life in a way that you just really can't explain because you understood you know, what it took and you played your position and you played your role. And um, it's one of those things that I, I always cherish every year. I always watch the NBA finals at the end because you see all of those guys, they get it. Like, I don't know yeah. what it is, but there's something that you get about each other when you're, when you win a championship. And uh, it's, it's one of those shared experiences that I'm very fortunate that I got a chance to see and uh, it's one of the it's one of the highlights for me of the NBA season and or for any season, football, baseball, it doesn't matter to be to win the final game of the season, because you have this. This camaraderie that you just can't really explain, and that's it's one of the more beautiful things, you know, why you play sports. Yeah, you share in it and it, it starts with effort and energy. I love it. It starts there. It ends there. And. I think as we both know, we can apply that to what we do every day and that's going to make us better at those things too. So, uh, good stuff. Two for two on one great story. Love it. Love it. Another great show today. Special thanks as always to producer Mike Lieber, the one and only Bruce Bernstein, editor Tom Phillip, and the entire Pure Hoops media team. Be sure to check out the Mike Wise Show dropping each and every Monday Tuesdays, we bring you Full Court with Fisher and Kay talking college hoops. Wednesday, Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin. Thursdays, it's Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure. Friday, it's the Pure Hoops Podcast with BJ Armstrong and yours truly, Eric Newman. Enjoy the pod. Share it with your crew. Get ready for an exciting season ahead. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Stay pure. Have a great weekend. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.